I look the part, blend in with the rest of the church crowd. I know the routine, I could list the other Bible studies in town. Watch Christian TV, I know all the preachers and their cliches. I've been born again, without a doubt I know I'm saved. But sometimes I hurt, and sometimes I cry. Sometimes I can't get it right, no matter how hard I seem to try. Sometimes I fall, stumble over my own disguise. I try to look strong as the whole world looks on, but sometimes alone I cry. I try to speak faith, never give the devil one inch to get in. I do worship and praise, let everybody know just where I stand. On the back of my ride is a fish and a cross for the world to see. I know God is good all the time, yes, there's no doubt for me, but sometimes I hurt and sometimes I cry. Sometimes I can't get it right, no matter how hard I seem to try. Sometimes I fall, I stumble over my own disguise. I try to look strong as the whole world looks on, but sometimes alone I cry. Sometimes I fall down, stumble over my own disguise. I try to look strong as the whole world looks on, but sometimes alone I cry. I try to look strong as the whole world looks on, but sometimes alone I cry. Thank you, Rhonda. Beautiful as always. Amen? Amen. It's always a blessing when we get to hear her sing. Well, if you have your Bible, open it up to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. The title of this message is Hating and Hiding. And some of you may be thinking, well, this should be interesting, right? Have times have you ever heard the word hating in a sermon title? Just to be sure you're trekking with me, we have been preaching, going through the longest book of the Bible, I'm sorry, the longest chapter of the longest book of the Bible, Psalm 119, and it's divided into 22 segments. Each segment is eight verses long, and each verse of each segment begins with a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And so this is our 15th message in Psalm 119, and so every verse in this section uh, it will begin with the 15th letter of the Hebrew alphabet, which is the letter Samic. And uh, that has that S sound, kind of like our English vocabulary. And so in the Hebrew language, each verse 
of this section begins with a Hebrew word that begins with this letter, Samak. It, it doesn't translate the same in, in English, and so sometimes in our English translations, uh, that, that word is not the first word of the, of the verse. In fact, the very first uh, word of, of the first verse of this section, Psalm 100, or verse 113, is, uh, is hate. And uh, you'll, most of your versions probably hate is not the first word of the verse, right? It's, my, it's I, uh, and, uh, and sometimes it's something else. And so it doesn't always look the same in the English as it does in the Hebrew. Uh, so uh, we're going to look at these eight sections of of the or these eight verses of this section, and in my estimation, it breaks down evenly between these two themes: hating and hiding. The first two psalmic words of this section are hating, uh, verse one hundred and thirteen, and then verse one hundred and fourteen is the Hebrew word for hiding, and so that's where that comes from: hating and hiding. And there's four verses I think that have to deal with hating. And four verses that have to do with hiding. We're going to look at the hating verses first. And so we're going to start in verse 113 and just go through these step by, uh, verse by verse. Can I just pause a moment for prayer? Father, I just want to ask you, Lord, for um, focus. That we all would focus on you and, and you would help me focus on you as well. God, we pray because uh, we are desperately in need of your translation of your word to our hearts, your application, applying your word to our hearts. Lord, the things that I say are meaningless unless they carry the weight of your word and, Lord, are, are used to touch by your Holy Spirit the hearts of those here this morning. And so, Lord, I, I desperately pray that you would just get me out of the way, you'd get distractions out of the way, and, uh, Lord, you would just help us to focus on you, the, the founder and the perfecter of this faith. And it's in your name I pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. Verse 113, I hate the double-minded, but I love your law. The psalmist starts it out, I mean this section, this octave of verses. I hate the double-minded. And again, this is the psalmic word for this verse, a double minded person is who he hates. What is a double-minded person? It's someone who tries to be devoted to two different things, essentially, is, is the simplest definition I can come up with you. They're trying to be devoted to do two different th things. It would be like if you went home and rooted for the Astros and the Yankees this week, right? You can't do it. you got to root for one or the, the other. You cannot have both. And in all seriousness, the application of being double-minded is that we are trying to be devoted to God and something else. God had a lot to say about this. When Jesus was walking the earth, he said, you can't do it. You will hate the one and love the other. Or you will despise the one and be devoted to the other. You cannot be devoted to two things. You cannot be double-minded. But people try. And the psalmist declares, those people who try, I hate them. I hate them. And this word hate in the Hebrew language, you may be saying, well, gosh, is it really that strong? In the Hebrew language, it actually translates hate. So it's pretty straightforward. I mean, I can't tell you, oh, it's got a different meaning. It's not that bad. It's, you know, it's, it's hate. And I mean, there's no mistranslation. And, and, and I mean, we could say, well, it means despise. And maybe some of you have notes that say, it, well, it says despise here. But really, that's the same. If you despise something, it's the same as hating. And we might pause right here. 
And we're going to hang up on this if we don't deal with it right now. Because you're, you're all probably saying, well, doesn't, don't we teach, doesn't Christianity, for years and years, why haven't we taught we're supposed to hate sin but love people? Hate the sin but love the sinner. And, and, and actually that verse, there's not a verse in the Bible that actually says that, but that's a good application of many verses of the Bible, hate the sin and uh, love the sinner. So how do we deal? Doesn't this contradict? Doesn't this verse contradict the rest of what we've been taught for years and years? Love the sinner, but hate the sin. I mean, Jesus, what did he teach? You've heard that it was said to hate your enemies, but I tell you to pray for your enemies, right? And then what was the second most important commandment Jesus gave us? Love your neighbor, and he defined a neighbor as anyone in our circle of influence. Anybody we come into contact with is our neighbor. So how in the world do we deal with verse 113 and deal with what Jesus taught? Doesn't it contradict each other? And first, let's be careful. I want to just say that real quick. We, we should not and cannot build an entire theology out of verse 113. It's one verse. We have the rest of the Bible teaching us to love our neighbor, to love those in our life, to pray for Everybody. And, 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 uh, and so I don't want you to go home today and say, well, we've got a new theology we're going to apply to our lives. We're going to hate everybody who's double-minded, right? That's not what I want you to go home with. So I want to deal with that real clearly. The command to love others as ourselves, to build up others, to serve one another, these far outweigh verse 113 in regards to the number of times they occur. Okay, so there's that. For every, for every time you see this one verse, think that there's three or four that are telling us to love others, to do good for others, to serve others, uh, it, it far outweighs. So the command to love all people, to pray for our, our enemies, that's still in effect. We're not doing away with that. Second, the reason this is stated so strongly, I hate the double-minded. And this is where we want to really camp out real quick. It's because double-mindedness, by the way, would be synonymous with being a hypocrite saying you live one way, but you actually live another way. Double-mindedness affects other people's relationships with God more than probably anything else. That, that's, that's why this is so strong here, I believe, is because double-mindedness affects people's, other people's relationship with God. Think about Jesus and how he confronted the Pharisees. And for a biblical example of double-mindedness, the Pharisees served perfectly. Because the, the Pharisees were supposed to be the servants of God, the, the translators of the law of God. They were the lawyers, but not in that sense, but in the biblical sense. They translated the law and gave it to the people. They were supposed to communicate God's law to the people to where they could understand it and apply it to their life. But what does Jesus say about them? You don't care anything about the people, essentially. All you care about is money, about power, about their personal prestige. They use their position to exploit the people for position and for, for money and for power. They put on a front of being spiritual leaders, but really they were spiritual leeches. And from Jesus' actions and words, I think it is safe to say that he hated the double-mindedness of the Pharisees. And that's why he confronted them so much. Because their hypocrisy was crippling the spiritual growth of the lost people of the Israelites. 
consider the statements of Jesus. Just two, Luke eleven forty six. He says, Woe to you, lawyers, for you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Or Matthew chapter 23, verse 2 through 3, the scribes and Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So practice and observe everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. Is it fair to say that Jesus despised the double-minded Pharisees? I think it is. Just as the psalmist despises the double-mindedness of his day. He despises their deceit. Because they know it causes others to stumble in God's word in their relationship with God. And so he proclaims, despite their double-mindedness, I love your word, Lord. I hate the double-mindedness, but I love your word. I will choose your word over their distracting, paralyzing hypocrisy. And how it wants me to drag me away from God's word. And then we skip down to verse 115. Continuing on with this hating thing. Verse 115, and once again, there's this communication of hate. Verse 115 says, Depart from me, you evildoers, for I will keep the commandments of my God. Depart from me. Get away from me. Why? Here again we see his disdain for the hypocrites. It's because he does not want to be kept from keeping God's commands. Essentially, he is saying, leave me alone because I want to keep God's commands. And you're distracting me from it. Because you're double-minded. What, why, did, why is that? Because the double-minded will either put a heavy burden on you saying, well, you, you're not loving God if you don't do what I say. Or perhaps worse or in the same breath, the double-minded are saying, you can do this and that. It's okay. You can still be a Christian and live this way. You can, you know, you don't have to think about that as sin. It's okay. Or yeah, it's sin, but God will forgive you. Double-mindedness, distracting them from their relationship with God. Here's a quick little applicable question for you. Do the people you spend time with inspire you to keep God's Word, or do they keep you from aspiring to keep God's Word? Does that make sense? Let me read that again. Do the people you spend time with inspire you to keep God's Word, or do they keep you from aspiring to God's Word? You see, God's Word, like I was telling the kids, God's Word is something we can tune our life to. Or we can just keep on playing out of tune. Do the people you spend time with, you hang out with, your friends, your whatever, do they inspire you to keep God's Word? Or do they try to keep you from aspiring, living up to that, that in-tune life that God's Word has for us? And again, we may want to try to attack this point from the context of Jesus' life. We hear in sermons and in commentary on Scripture all the time, Jesus did not spend His time with the powerful and the rich, but with the sinners and the low down and the left out. And that's a true statement. There is truth in that statement. But there's also error in this statement in thinking that Jesus only hung out with the the sinners in thinking of the low and down. and, And Let me just explain. Jesus spent time with whoever wanted to spend time with him. That's that's really what we should say about Jesus. The people who actually accused him of hanging out with the low, down, dirty sinners were actually the powerful people who made that statement all the time. All you do is hang out with the sinners. Yeah, he does. He does. 
Because he hung out with whoever wanted to hang out with him. Jesus spent time with the rich and the poor, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Jesus, did did he exclusively spend his time with sinners? That's a mixed up question because, you see, all of humanity is nothing but sinners. For us to look at one group and say, yeah, Jesus hung out with the sinners. And to look at another group and say, yeah, he didn't hang out with those sinners. They're all sinners because we're all sin. We, I mean, we are all sinning. We, we all fall short. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God. Jesus was God. He was perfect. He was holy. Everyone else were sinners. Yes, Jesus did exclusively hang out with sinners because he hung out with humanity. So aren't we supposed to follow Jesus' example? Yes, we are. But his example and his prayer in John 17 was that we would be in the world, but not of the world. In the world, but not of the world. And what that looks like is that we spend time with whoever wants to spend time with us, but in that time, we affect their sinful lifestyle and not the other way around. You see, Jesus was never drugged down to that level of the people he was hanging out with. Not the prostitutes, not the tax collectors, not even his own disciples. But whoever he was with, boy, they either hated him or they wanted to aspire to live at the level he was living at. You see, we should aspire to live to the Word of God. We should aspire to live to the level of living Christ lived. Do the people we hang out with do that? We, in the righteousness of Christ, are covered by His blood. And in our relationship with Christ, we should make people so uncomfortable in their sinfulness that they stop what they are doing, or they make fun of us because of what we're doing, or they want to leave us. But the problem is is that often the Christian is swayed to act like the world. And we use excuses of being in the presence of sin and indulging in sin in order to witness or win them to the Lord. Yeah, I I shouldn't be doing those things, but I'm hoping it'll open a door to witness to them, right? Yes, I went dancing at the bar and had a few drinks, but that was so I could be a light in that very dark place. Yes, I drink socially with those who drink, but it's only so it'll open a door for me to be able to witness to them. I know I shouldn't be in a relationship with this person, but I'm hoping to win him or her to salvation in Christ. Yes, these are actual statements that I've heard, by the way. But these are often not the heart of those making the statements. They are usually making rationalizations for actions they know to be wrong. The psalmist, though, chooses not to do this because he wants God's commands more than his own personal sin desires. So he says, get away from me, you double-minded. Get away from me, depart from me, because I want to keep God's law. And then we get down to verse 118. And both verse 118 and verse 119 really have to do with God's rejection of the double-mindedness. Again, that hate theme. Verse 118, it says, You reject all those who stray from your statutes, for their deceit is falsehood. In verse 119, You put away all the wicked of the earth like dross, therefore I love your testimonies. You reject all those who stray. God rejects. He 
kicks out. He does away with those who stray from his word. Very simple and straightforward in its meaning. God rejects. He separates himself from those who sin. The meaning of that word carries with it the idea of something that is useless, and so therefore it is tossed away. God rejects those who stray from his word. And in verse 119, he says, you put away all the wicked. Again, another statement about God's attitude towards those who choose a life of evil over him. He treats them, it says, like dross. That's a word we don't usually use in our English language. In, in old English, it was used to refer to uh, uh, smelting metals. And it would be the leftover stuff that they would, you know, literally translated it would be rubbish or refuse. Things that had absolutely no cease, or, or no use. And in my version, it can, be more, uh, it can be more literally translated, cease to exist. So the Lord counts those who stray as useless. Those who stray from the word as useless. He tosses them aside. He causes them to cease from existence. Those who are wicked. And on the, on the, on the one hand, the self-righteous side of me is like, yeah, God's going to get them, right? He's going he's gonna to treat them like dross. Do away with them. He's going to kick them out. Yeah, judgment day is coming. But then the spiritually sensitive side of me gives me a little nudge and reminds me, Brian, you've strayed from the word of God a number of times. Oh, yeah, God. Brian, you've been wicked in your ways. Oh, yeah, God. And then there's a segment of us that will holler out, well, what about grace? The hating is the bad news. I mean, it's I'll be honest with you. I, I was afraid some of you might get up and walk out while I was going through these, few ver these four verses, the hating part. But it's the truth. And so we've got to present the truth. God's attitude towards double-mindedness and our attitude towards double-mindedness, towards those who reject God's word, those who stray from God's word, is one of casting out. And that's the truth. But then we say, well, what about grace? What about grace? Praise the Lord for grace. If it were not for grace, there would be no hope whatsoever. Is there any greater reason to love God's testimonies? Yes, we should be devoted to the Word of God. Perhaps His love for God's Word, perhaps the psalmist's love for God's Word is motivated in part by the grace that is afforded to all those who go running to God. To all those who confess their great need for His love, for His mercy, and for His hiding. Which leads to the second tenet of the Scripture and the second psalmic word found in verse 114. Verse 114, he says, You are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. And not just hiding place and shield. The Lord is a covering and a defense. That's the, that's the impact of these words. He is a covering for us and a defense against the enemy. But is it just against the enemy? We've talked a lot about the enemy. But see, in his word, we have his promises and the premises upon which we are to hope. And that is why he loves God's word. This is why we should love the word of God. Because of what it covers us and protects us from. Is it just the enemy outside? I believe it is also the enemy within. That fleshly side of me, that constantly wants and is distracted by sin. Consider the context of this passage. I think the psalmist needs and wants the covering and defense of God's word from his own sinful desires. 
And the reason I think this is we move on to verse 116. He says, Uphold me according to your word that I may live, and do not let me be ashamed of my hope. In verse 117, he says, Hold me up, and I shall be safe, and I shall observe your statutes continually. Hold me up and uphold me, or uphold me and hold me up. In the Hebrew language, these are two separate words, two completely different words, but they are synonyms. They are one and the same. They are both the psalmic words for these specific verses, and they are requests for sustenance. God, sustain me. Sustain my life. In verse 116, it's often used to refer to someone who needs a sustaining support. I was thinking about this verse I passed one of those big, tall uh, uh, radio towers, and the support wires were going out for hundreds of yards away from that big, tall. I guess it was a radio tower. It was extremely tall. I was thinking about how important those wires were. If those wires were to break, then that tower might slip over one side or the other, especially if it had a hard wind. Support me. Sustain me. Hold me up. But then verse 117, it says, uphold me, or hold me up. And again, it's a word that means sustain, but it's often used in the Hebrew, Hebrew language for someone who is sustained from the, the provision of food. If I can get these thoughts out clearly. Sustain me through your provision of food. Sustenance. What I need. It means to be revived or refreshed from eating. You ever been really, really hungry and you've been working hard outside and you just feel weak and wobbly need and you go and sit down and you eat you something and you're like, whoo, I'm ready to go back to work. Sustain me. Uphold me. Hold me up, Lord. And the psalmist is crying out and he says in verse 116, sustain me and I will live. And in verse 117, sustain me and I will be safe. But look at what he needs the Lord's sustenance, his holding up and upholding for. He says in 116 that I will not be ashamed of my hope. And that might, might not make a lot of sense. Why would we be ashamed of our hope? But really, it really should be translated a little bit more clear this way, that I will not be put to shame in my hope. And why in the world will we be put to shame in our hope? Unless... In light or in spite of our hope, we just keep on going after sin. God has rescued me from sin. He has delivered me from the master of sin. But like those silly Israelites, I keep wanting to go back to Egypt. Don't let me be ashamed in my hope. I've been rescued. I have this hope of heaven. But you know what? I sure miss my sin. I want to go back to it. Hmm. And then verse 117, hold me up, sustain me, and I will observe or live by your testimonies. The psalmist recognizes he needs the support, the sustenance of the hand of God to overcome his own desire to sin. He wants to avoid becoming the very thing he despises. Double-minded, a hypocrite. And so he calls on the name of the Lord for help. And then verse 120, my flesh trembles for fear of you, and I am afraid of your judgment. And this is the motivation of the psalmist following in devotion to the Lord. This is his motivation 
because of not wanting to be double-minded. It's because his flesh trembles, because he fears. And you might say, well, that doesn't seem very loving. I thought we chose God because of his love for us. I thought we, we went after God because he went after us and loves us so much. And absolutely, we do. But let's not forget the fear of the Lord as well. You see, if there was no punishment for breaking laws, wouldn't we all be willing to break the laws? If there was no punishment for doing 160 mile per hour, 60 mile per hour speed zone, wouldn't we all do 100 miles per hour? Well, not all of us. Some of us would still do 45. But if there's no fear of punishment, if there's no fear of getting a ticket, then we're more likely to break the law. And with all the love we receive from the Lord, there is still present the very real fear of His response to us when we break our relationship with Him and choose sin. What does that proverb say about fearing the Lord? The beginning of wisdom is fearing the Lord. My flesh trembles for fear of you, and I am afraid of your judgment. And so he goes hiding to the Lord. I don't want to be double-minded. I don't want to be given over to fear. I mean, uh, given over to sin, over to double-mindedness. My flesh trembles. What happens, Lord, if I if I go pursuing after sin, yet saying I live for you? I, I don't want that. I, I fear what will happen. And so, Lord, I go hiding in you. Cover me, defend me from my own self. You may be thinking, well, so what? Why why does this matter? I'm going to give you three real quick applications as as we, we close out. Number one, true hate for double-mindedness starts with an inward look. You know, even though the psalmist starts this section out and he says, I hate the double-mindedness. Remember, this is a prayer to God. Remember, all of Psalm 119 is a prayer to God. This is his personal private prayer to the Lord. We're hearing it. He's not preaching this out loud. I hate the double-minded. I can't help but to think that when he makes this statement, he's talking about himself. True hate for double-mindedness, for sinfulness, starts with an inward look. Consider the words of Jesus who tells us to remove the log from our own eyes before we go and try to clean the speck out of somebody else's eye, the sawdust out of somebody else's eye. And so as we consider this octave of verses and how to apply it, let us be sure to understand that any loathe or despisement we, we may want to feel for double-mindedness, we need to hate in ourselves first. In fact, I really want to unstress the whole idea of hating the hypocrite as a person outside of ourselves because I don't want anybody going home today and saying, well, let's see who we can hate. That's not the point. The point is to hate sin and hate it in ourselves first. And recognize that every time we choose sin, that's double-mindedness. Sometimes I have to remind myself, I'm a whole lot more like the Pharisees than I realize. Number two, sin should drive us to His Word. Sometimes sin drives me to the cookie jar. I need some comfort food, right? feel bad about what I, I did. But it should drive me to the Word of God every single time because in the Word of God, I'm reminded of God's wonderful precepts and statutes and I'm put back in tune with Him and His purposes for my life. And I would surmise the reason that I sin 
is often because there's not enough of His Word in me. How much more of a reminder we need than then in those moments of our faithlessness, we are reminded of His faithfulness. We are reminded of that when we open the Word of God. And then we can claim like the psalmist, I hate double-mindedness, but I love your Word. Because it reminds me that in spite of my double-mindedness, God, you love me, and you forgive me, and you restore me to righteousness. Thank you, God. Sin should also drive us to the Word because I desperately want to live for Him. And I am so devastated when I fail His Word, when I fail Him, that I just want to be more faithful. And that faithfulness is not found in my ability to will it or in my self-discipline. My ability to be more faithful is found in Him and in His Word. I want His Word in me. I want His Word living in me. Number three, God is the only righteous judge. The, number three, the, the reason this hating and hiding thing is so important is because God is the only righteous judge. The psalmist says, I am afraid of your judgments. But remember, this is wisdom, to be afraid of his judgments. Fear of judgment is one of our motivators to stay in line with the, with the law, to, to be in tune with God. The fact that God is the only righteous judge should give us great comfort. Because an unrighteous judge would sentence us when we, when we uh, deserve or don't deserve it. Or an unrighteous judge would be able to be bribed of not carrying out a sentence. Or an unrighteous judge would not carry out justice when it needs to be served. But God cares about all these things, about righteousness, about judgment, about justice. And He cares about them correctly because He is the only righteous judge. And in a moment where justice is being handed out, don't you want the best judge possible? I know I do. I know that I do. And so we hide. We go running for covering from the Lord and, and ask for His shielding. Not shielding from His justice, but shielding from our sinfulness. Because He is the righteous judge. And we recognize that He will righteously and justly judge us for our sinfulness. But we go running to Him and ask for His covering and for His hiding and realize we find that perfectly in the blood of Jesus Christ when He is our Lord and Savior. The beautiful truth of God's Word, reason we go running to it is because it reminds us God is a righteous judge and He will carry, carry out judgment on the sinful. He will do away with them, but if we go running to Him and, and declare ourselves as sinners in need of a Savior, He will relent of that just judgment on us. Why? Because He carried it out on His Son on the cross. Because He's a righteous judge. I don't know where you stand this morning in relationship with Christ, in relationship with God. But understand that there is no hope in your double-mindedness, in your sinfulness. I'm making this very personal because we all need to deal with this, every single one of us. There is no hope in that away from the blood of Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Some of you need to deal with that question. Am I truly saved? It's not about just having your best life, your happy life. Having Jesus as your Lord and Savior is about having life. 
Would you join me in a word of prayer? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its lessons, Lord, for getting us in tune with it. Now, Lord, I pray that the power of your word and the power of your Holy Spirit would just speak at this moment as we respond to you. <coughs> Lord, as we sing a song in response, Lord, if there's someone here that they know they need to be saved, they know they need to confess you as their Lord and Savior, and they recognize that sin has separated them from you. And Father, I pray that they would come running to you, come running to your covering and your hiding, your, your shelter that is in Jesus Christ. Maybe there's something else that someone is dealing with, and I just want to encourage them during this time to respond in prayer. Or they can come forward and talk to me. And Father, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would have uh, your way with this time this morning. It's all about you. We want to make it all about you. It's in your name I pray, Jesus. Amen. Would you stand?